Welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly. If you listened last week, we started a fun conversation on how to evangelize to Muslims. A really good friend of mine, a friend for about 10 years, uh, is in a country overseas as a missionary, uh, evangelizing uh, for about the last year, almost on a daily basis, most of which is with Muslims. And he spent the first 30 minutes with us uh, discussing cultural differences, discussing his role there, how he gets into sort of these conversations. And we finished off last week talking about some of the big, important Islamic beliefs uh, that we should be aware of when we start to get into these conversations. Uh, now, uh, as if you're listening last week, you know uh, his name, uh, we don't mention for security reasons. It is illegal to do evangelism where he is at. And so we just want to be careful of that, but excited to have him on the show again. So thanks for joining me again. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. First section was fun. I'm excited for this next part. Yeah, we we got to the end of the section one. Is what, man? This is too good. There's still too much to say, and uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it too. And so we're we're back here for part two. So at the end of of part two, uh, you started talking about some of the religious beliefs uh, that that, mm-hmm. that make it u- unique. Uh, one being the yeah. honor shame culture, uh, you know, and, and uh, their view of sin and how they view sin. If their sin brings honor, if their sin doesn't, uh, if their action does, uh, then it's you know, if it brings shame on people, then it's wrong. Uh, and so their view of sin is different. Uh, you talked about the the difference of salvation, a very works based salvation. Um, so when they're doing the daily prayers, and you mentioned uh, last week that that. Most of the Muslims that you're talking to don't speak Arabic, um, yet they're doing their daily prayer reciting in Arabic. Uh, does that have significance for them? I, I can't imagine praying to God in a language that I don't understand, or maybe I just learn what that yeah. prayer is, and so I know that one prayer. I just don't know the rest of the language. Have they? Have you talked to them at all about how that kind of affects them of praying in a language that's not their their origin their first language? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, that. I haven't asked anyone personally what they think about that. That'd be a good thing to ask them. But I know for them, the way they view God is also the diff- different the way we view God as Christians. Uh, they view God as very distant and un- completely unknowable. You cannot know the mind of God. You cannot know God. And of course, we also as Christians, we recognize that, sure, we can't know the mind of God either. But we believe that he gives us revelations. He gives us insight. He speaks to us. For them, Allah does not speak to you. No, uh, you cannot know his mind. You cannot know him. God is not a father. I've had some Muslims say very adamantly, no, he is not a father, you know, uh, because that diminishes their view of him because he's so distant, so otherly. So so just understanding that, the, the I would assume that for many Muslims, um, even if they're the, the really devout ones that are doing, because not all Muslims are devout and do the five prayers a day. Uh, many of them admit to me that they don't do the five prayers, even though they'll, they'll list that as the thing to do to be saved, to have your sins forgiven. But then I ask them, oh, do you do this? And they'll say like, oh, no, or, you know, I'll pray like once or twice a day. But many of them are not so devout to do all the five a day. Interesting. Um, but I would assume that even for the ones that are devout and do it, just because of their view of God being distant, not understanding the language probably would not affect them so much because they know like this is what I'm doing to obey Allah and I'm being mm-hmm. obedient by doing it. You know, so it's more yeah. Yeah, I hope that explains that. Yeah, a it's bit. a much more of a relationship of submission yes. and obedience rather than I mean, yes, we are supposed to obey God, uh, of mm-hmm. course, we, but it's in a much different aspect rather than, you know, obeying your father because you know your father loves you yeah. than obeying a distant force or distant person because you're commanded to. 
Yeah. Uh, much of a different, much different relationship uh, there in their view of God. Now, and also um, it's like hoping to secure your salvation because like we yeah. mentioned last week, like your salvation is not secure, but the more good things you do ups your chances. So you're hoping to secure your salvation by being obedient and doing those five daily prayers. And I know that's a topic that we hit on often with Mormons as well. Of, mm-hmm. of they don't know. Now there is general salvation for all people, but as far as exaltation and their view of of spending eternity with Father God, uh, they're not confident in that. Um, they don't know of the, those things. And so being able to talk about your confidence uh, in in First John, where it talks about, is it First John five that you know that you can know that you are saved? That is a huge. Yeah comforting thing that we have in Christianity that other religions don't. And, yeah. and, it, and it removes that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it removes also the uneasiness of us. And yeah. this is a little bit off, but just on the point of um, just this last weekend, I actually uh, performed my grandmother's funeral, uh, the gravesite service for her. And that I think what I shared there at the gravesite was for us uh, grandchildren and children and, uh, and and people who loved her, the it changes so much for us when we can know for a fact that someone is saved. Yeah, that someone who devotes their life to Jesus, who loves Him, who has given themselves to Him, uh, to know that they are saved, uh, to rest assured that she is with God in His presence, and yeah. that we will be one day too, and not have that uneasiness of. Uh, I, I sure hope so. It's it's mm-hmm. that nervous tension of, you know, watching your favorite team play and you don't know if they're going to win or not. Whereas the, the, it's like the way I described it is it's like watching the, your favorite game, you know, the ESPN classic game, the greatest game ever played, but you know your team won. Yeah, and You can exactly. sit there and, and be amazed at how good the play is. And you still get that nervousness of, oh, he's going to catch it. And then he catches it. But you know that they're going to win. And yeah. you can just sit there and have that confidence that many other religions don't have. Yeah, that security and salvation is massive, massive, massive for Muslims, like you said, for Mormons as well. Uh, For a lot of faith systems, so many faith systems do not have that security of salvation. And and what I've told many Muslims is that, you know what, with following Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of death because they fear death so much. But I tell them we don't have to be afraid because we know for sure that we'll be with him for eternity. Absolutely. So their view of sin, we talked about their view of salvation, their view of God. What are some other important beliefs uh, to know yes, uh, if we're um, going to be talking to Muslims? Yeah, a couple of big, big ones are their view of Jesus. That is probably the biggest one. Um, that is one of their biggest hangups in Christianity because they view us Christians as polytheists, which is unforgivable sin. Uh, because they have a simple view of God being one, where we have a complex view of God being one, but we won't get into all that. But they basically see Jesus as he was only a prophet. And so they revere him as a prophet, but as only a prophet. And they agree that he was, or I should say in their teachings, they're also taught that he was born of a Virgin Mary, uh, that he did no sins. He's the only one not to sin. And so even Muhammad did sins. I mean, I don't say that to them, but I always say, you know, Jesus was the only one to not sin. And they also believe that he did many miracles, uh, but they do not believe that he did not die, or I should say they believe he did not die on the cross. That is fundamental for them because, Jesus, you know, Jesus was such a perfect prophet. God would not let him die on the cross. So the common belief is that it was another apostle. Often they say the apostle Judas uh, died on the cross in his place. Um, and Jesus is that was just Sir a, a, is that Sir a four? I don't know if you know off the top of your head. I'm trying to think. Is it Sir a four? 
I don't I'll try know to look it up really quick. I think yeah. it, I'll look it up. I think that's where it says mm-hmm. that uh, the the verse I'm looking for in the Quran it says that uh, that he did not die, but he only appeared to have died. Uh, you yeah. know, and so someone either replaced yeah. him or something of that sort happened. Exactly, exactly. So he was replaced at the last minute and everyone else was deceived. You know, Christians were deceived, but he was just ascended into heaven um, and he'll come back on judgment day, but he's going to come back to point everyone to Islam and say, yes, Muhammad was the last and final prophet. And so so that's some of their their false understandings of Jesus. Other things about their understanding of God, I think that we kind of allude to is that they have such extreme high reverence for God and that Whenever they have the Quran on a bookshelf in their home, it'll be on the highest bookshelf. You do not put any other book above the level of the Quran. And when you're carrying it, you never carry it below your waist. And there's other laws that they have about it, but that's just to show their high reverence for God. But they also have a high reverence for holy scriptures. So even the Bible is considered holy scriptures for them, um, but of course they think it's been corrupted a little bit. (laughs) So the Quran would obviously hold authority over it, but... This understanding of having such a high reverence for God and Holy Scriptures, we can really use that to our advantage when sharing with them. So one thing that I tell them is, you know, many people, I don't say Muslims specifically because I don't want to create too much like accusatory, but I just say many people, uh, they think that if our good deeds outweigh our sins, our bad deeds, then God will accept us. That's such a common belief among humanity. But that's not accurate. And I tell him, you know, like God is so pure and so almighty and so uh, with his absolute purity, he doesn't have one sin in him. So not one sin can stand before him, you know, so you use their understanding of such a high reverence for God to help drive that point home that that's not an accurate way of viewing God can't, you know, one sin is already too many before God. Did you find that, sir? Or? Yeah, so I, I I think it's right here. So Surah 4, 157, it says, And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but another uh, was made to resemble him to them. Uh, so right there within the Quran, chapter 4, talking about uh, Jesus did not die on the cross, that you know it was someone else to look like him. Now, I know that there's other yeah. uh, groups of Muslims that say uh, he did not die on the cross. Uh, he only fainted, right? So the swoon yeah. theory, uh, they yeah. took him down before he died, and then he was revived. And so those would be some common views, which, again, that, that can be an interesting conversation yeah. uh, uh, looking at of what is the historical evidence for the resurrection? Uh, did he actually die? And I know that that was one big thing uh, in Nabil Qureshi, uh, who passed yeah. away a few years back, but uh, he went to a Bible study with some people who were discussing the evidence for the resurrection, and he had his dad come, and and mm-hmm. and he couldn't, uh, him and his dad both could not defend uh, the point in the Quran of saying that Jesus did not die uh, against the overwhelming evidence for it, and you know that was one of many things that slowly began to help him just start to think and question, wow, you know, what else could be off or, you know, how else does Christianity make sense? Yeah, I think that's good that you brought that up, especially about Nabil Qureshi. Um, There will be some Muslims that you'll deal with that will be like Nabil Qureshi who will really have a desire for truth and some will not. Some will just want to debate for the sake of debating and they will not, they don't have a desire to know truth. So if you find someone that you're just, you're having a conversation with them and you're recognizing that their questions that they're putting back at you, or even if they're being a bit defensive, recognize if they really want to know truth. And so you can kind of tell that in their intonation um, and how they're presenting their their uh, counterpoints to you. If they're really investigating and want to know truth, then it's good to go into that historical evidence. Um, if they're just like not wanting to know truth, then we, we really don't want to get into so much of that debating with them. 
Because then yeah. it's just debating for the sake of debating, and then you're just putting up more walls and barriers to them. So one thing that I say oftentimes when they come up with this whole like, oh, Jesus did not die, um, I just kind of like test the waters with where they are at, with whether they want to know or not. Because at this point, you have already shared the gospel message with them. And I'll say, you know, if Jesus did not die, then there's no salvation. He had to die to be our sacrifice, to be that ultimate sacrifice for us. But he didn't stay dead. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered Satan and proved to be the greatest conqueror of all by rising again. So just and so again, we're affirming that he died, but then we're also elevating him so much by saying he conquered it all. And then I also say that there was over 500 witnesses that saw him, you know, that he had risen after the dead. Yeah. Just bringing home that point of the witnesses also. And I think what you say is so good. And and Frank Turek, and I often ask this question, I got it from Frank Turek, uh, but asking the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Mm. And that is such a telling question to if someone says, no, I wouldn't, (laughs) or hesitates or something. And I've had that happen. And then it's like, okay, this person is not on a search for truth. And therefore, bringing up uh, all of the arguments and evidence for Christianity is not going, uh, at least at that point, to persuade them. Yeah. And we need to pray for them and we need to, you know, discuss some other things. Uh, if they're like, yes, I am on a relentless pursuit of truth. I want to know. All right, let's talk about those things. So I think that is such an important point of don't just have a debate to have a debate. Yeah, exactly. You know, make sure the person you are discussing and, and debating with it, you know, that they're open-minded and we stay open-minded and to have that discussion. Exactly, exactly. Really good. Yeah, that, that also that makes me think of one example when um, I was sharing with a couple guys from Yemen, uh, which is a probably nearly 100% Muslim country. Uh, and these guys, you know, we had some long conversations with them, but they were really open and searching. And at first it seemed like they were just, they were just constantly coming back counterpoint, counterpoint, counterpoint. But it was all done in the era of like, you know, someone's not just going to hear the gospel for the first time and immediately switch, you know. Islam yeah. is their identity, that they're so wrapped up in their identity in that. For them, majority of them, even if they hear the gospel message and they love it so many of them are hung up and thinking i can't embrace this though because i'm a muslim they, they see it as impossible to leave their islamic identity so that's a big point of being prayerful for them and showing them like no jesus died for you too like muslims can embrace jesus too but so many of them even if they want to know and they want it, it it's very difficult for them uh, so even if they're coming with counter questions, counter points, it doesn't mean that they're not open. Uh, but we kind of kind of gauge, are they debating just for the sake of debate? And this guy from Yemen, after talking with him a lot and he was coming back with different points and such, after a while he said, you know, I, I'm interested in trying this. And, and you know, he said, he said, you know, like a drowning man, I've got nothing to lose. You know, I'm going to I might as well try Jesus. And he also said, you know, like if I'm one for Jesus, you didn't just win one Yemenese, you won 100 because I'm going to go home and tell all my family and friends to follow wow. Jesus. So I haven't heard. I've lost contact with him because he's back in Yemen now. But that's just one one guy that be say, like, please be praying for him and people like that to have to 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 really embrace Jesus and for something miraculous to happen in that country. Absolutely. And I think that goes to when we don't give up. I think oftentimes Christians, you know, you, you evangelize and, and it's not effective, at least in your mind, yeah. uh, the first few times and we give up. But I mean, if you think about it in the reverse, in the reverse sense, if a Muslim came up to you and, and shared their views, you're not going to convert yeah. immediately. 
you're probably not going to convert after two conversations or three. Uh, so for us to expect them to do what we wouldn't do, uh, we would want to, hopefully, we would want to investigate it more than that uh, before changing our views, especially if it's one that is so ingrained into your culture and your family and, and, and everything. Yeah, and especially for them, we have to understand that for a Muslim to embrace Christianity is a massive, massive deal in that not only are they what feels like to them losing their identity, but almost 100% of the time, some sort of persecution will come to them. Uh, so that could mean just being ostracized from family, and that would be a very small part of persecution uh, if they're just kicked out of family, ostracized from family. But also many of them could face very real physical abuse. They could face an honor killing. An honor killing, if you're not familiar with that term, is basically when a family member kills someone for turning to Christianity because they brought shame to the family. So they're restoring honor to their family by killing that person. And I've read stories of, you know, a brother killing a sister because she turned to Christianity, you know, and it's horrific in our minds, but that's something that they face. So we have to bear that in mind when we're sharing with them that they could possibly face a very high cost for embracing Jesus. Uh, we're still going to tell them about Jesus because again, we know that Jesus is the way to salvation and he's worth it. And he's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. But remembering that they could be facing a high cost. And hopefully that knowledge then just gives us a sense of compassion, yeah. a sense of, of love and, and also patience as we have these conversations. And, you know, my rule, you know, I don't share with Muslims that much, but my rule with Mormons is, is as long as they're willing to talk to me, I should be willing to talk to them. Exactly. You know, if, they, if the missionaries stop coming to my house, okay, they were done. Uh, but if they are saying, hey, can I schedule a meeting? Can I schedule a meeting? You know, I, I want to talk to them and I want to take that opportunity that I have. Yeah. And back to the point that we we're talking about um, a little bit of like the, how we don't want to get into debate really with them is one thing I heard good from another missionary who spent many years in some real intense countries. He said, how do you get a big dog to give up a bone in its mouth? You put a piece of steak in front of him. So that's what we <laughs> want to be doing, you know? So we want to just keep presenting them with the goodness of the gospel, with the wonderful news that salvation is in Jesus. And so just keep, so there's been times when I've been sharing and I'll be like mid-sentence and they'll cut me off with like, no, Jesus was uh, not the truth. It was only through Muhammad. And, you know, I'll kind of like let them say what they want to say. And then I'll just get back to the message. I'll just like instead of debating it, like we never want to say, especially don't say something bad about Muhammad or about their religion uh, because that will just put up barriers, put up walls. And instead, just get back to the good message. Keep putting that stake in front of them basically. Uh, also, we want to avoid super Christianese kind of words. Um, also, we're not very good at that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's <laughs> we can get into practice of it, you know? So like, for example, uh, some, some simple example is I almost actually, no, I, I should say in my context, at least I never tell them that I'm a Christian off the bat. I never introduce myself as a Christian. If they, I just, you know, we're just starting to get to know each other. I'm telling them about America. I'm asking them about their country. Then we get into cultural stuff. And the, as we transition into religious topics, I don't say like, okay, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you what I believe. Rather, I just go into what I believe. Why do I have to say I'm a Christian? You know, just get into what I believe. And the reason for that is because if they hear Christian, oftentimes that'll just put up a barrier. Like, okay, you're a Christian. I'm a Muslim. That's your faith. This is my faith. And we just don't want any of those walls coming up. If they many times they will ask me, okay, what's your faith? Are you a Christian? What do you believe? The first time they ask me, I'll say I'm a follower of Jesus. And again, the reason I don't say Christian there either 
is because they have so many misconceptions of Christianity. For example, the, the country that I live in, these Muslims, they view this country as a Christian nation, which is a wrong understanding. But anyways, that's how they view it. And they view that country as an oppressor of them. So they'll immediately associate Christianity as an oppressing system over them. And then the, also they view Christianity as the Western world of Hollywood, which is also not accurate, but that's <laughs> what they associate with Christianity. So we don't want those immediate false understandings coming up and being a bearer like, oh my gosh, no, I don't want that. you know. So if they ask me again later, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, aren't you? Then if they're pressing it, then I will say, okay, yes, I am a Christian, but I, I'm a Christian – in that I truly follow what Jesus teaches. I know there's a, I'll say, I know there's a lot of Christians out there who claim to be Christians, but they're not really following Jesus, you know, and they're living sinful lives and they're doing all this, or maybe they're doing these terrible things. But a true Christian is someone who follows Jesus. And let me show you more what this looks like. So if they're really pressing it, then I'll say that I am a Christian, but then I'll tell them like, look, this is what it really means to follow Jesus. So I know that one important thing with evangelism, and it's crazy we're already almost running out of time with six minutes left, but with evangelism is is talking about uh, being able to present the gospel. And I know that a lot of times, you know, at, at conferences and stuff, you know, people are asked, you know, write down a 30-second or a one-minute gospel presentation, and sometimes Christians struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to do. Uh, so can you give maybe an example of, of how, what is your basic kind of gospel presentation that you would give them to help them think about Jesus in, in a new way? Yeah. So, okay, so I've sat down with the guy, and after we've done a little bit of introduction stuff, got to know a little bit of cultural stuff, how we transition into the message is I'll ask him, as I ask him, like, tell me about your culture. I've never been to this country that you're from. Uh, tell me about it. And just let him talk about his culture. And many times they'll mention it's a Muslim culture. If they don't say it's a Muslim, if they say, then boom, you're already in a religious topic. Um, if they don't say, then you can just ask them straight up again. They're not afraid of this question. Like, oh, I've heard it's a Muslim culture. Is that accurate? And, you know, they'll say yes. And then you can ask them, are you also a Muslim? Oftentimes they'll say yes, you know. And so actually 100% of the time they say yes. So after <laughs> they say, you know, yes, I'm a Muslim, then this is how I go into it. Then I'll ask them. Okay, so I've, I've noticed that many religions around the world are similar in that all people have sin, and we're all trying to get our sin forgiven by God. And so do you agree with that? And they always say yes. And I'll say, okay, so you as a Muslim, what are you doing to have your sins forgiven? And this is the point where you just let them talk. Don't try to correct them. Don't say like, if they say, oh, you know, I, you know, pray twice a day. Don't say, oh, well, you're supposed to pray five times a day. No, don't correct them. <laughs> you want to know what are they doing? Yeah. And even if they recite, boom, you do this, you do this, you do this. After that, then you ask them, so are you doing that? What, what are, are you doing all of these things? And because you want to know what are they, you want to know about them as a person. What are they doing to have their sins forgiven? After they answer, then you just ask them, so if you do all these things, do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? And they'll usually say no, that nobody knows. And after they say that, then I'll say, you know, well, that's interesting. But, you know, I believe something differently. I believe I do. I can know for sure. And I do know. But that's not because I'm this amazing person and I live perfectly. No, I believe we can know for sure because God has made a way for us. And that way is through Jesus Christ. Uh, do you know about Jesus? And usually they, they'll say, yes, they know about him. But again, it's a false understanding of him. So right, then, a different uh, Jesus. Exactly, but they've heard of him. Okay, so you've heard of Jesus. All right, so Jesus, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was the only person to live without any sin. And he also did these amazing miracles, like he opened blind eyes. He raised the dead back to life. You know, these amazing, amazing miracles. But 
something interesting. While he was still young, he told his followers that he must die. Why would he say something like that? That's strange. Do you know why he would say something like that? They always say like, no, I don't know why he would say that. And then I tell them, well, we can find the answer to why he said this in the story of the first people of Adam and Eve. And they have a parallel story of Adam and Eve, which we won't get into. But so they have a concept, but it's also a little twisted concept. Um, so, you know, Adam and Eve were the first people created by Adam and, uh, or sorry, by, by God. They lived in paradise in the, in the garden and they lived without sin at first and they had perfect relationship with God. But then one day Satan came along and lied to them, deceived them. They ate from the forbidden fruit and then they immediately had same or they had sinned and brought shame upon themselves. And they realized their shame and realized that they're naked without clothes. So they tried to cover themselves with leaves to cover their shame. But, you know, leaves are not good clothes. They can easily fall off. Uh, that doesn't work. But that's what they tried to do. And so God being perfect without sin, he had to judge them. He had to kick them out of the garden and also brought death upon themselves. But God still loved them. He still wanted relationship with them. So God actually made new clothes for them. He made clothes from animal skins. Now, what do you have to do to have animal skins? You have to kill an animal. So this killing of this animal, that was like the first sacrifice from God for the people to cover their shame and bring them back in a relationship with God. And after Adam and Eve, all the prophets and many people through history, they also brought animal sacrifices uh, because the Holy Scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So they brought these animal sacrifices so that God would forgive their sins and cover their shame. And so then when Jesus was on the earth, he was, again, the only one to live without sin and know, uh, did these miracles. And there was another prophet at the same time of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he said, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why would he say that? He's not a lamb. He's a, he's a human being. But a lamb, that was an animal for sacrifice. And so the prophet John, he's saying that prophetically as him coming, as Jesus coming to the earth to be that perfect sacrifice for us. Mm. And that's why he said he must die. So he died for us. And when he died, he said, it is finished, meaning he was the final, ultimate sacrifice, perfect sacrifice from God for the whole world, for every single people group. doesn't matter where you were born, what country you're born. It doesn't matter if you're born Muslim or not. Jesus died for everyone, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering Satan. And because he rose from the dead, he was that perfect sacrifice for us. So now all we have to do is believe in him. And so Jesus, he returned to God in heaven and said he will come back to judge the earth. But when he comes back to judge the earth, he will not judge if we did more, more good works and less sins. Because many times we think if we do more good and less bad, then God will forgive us. But that's not accurate. How many times did Adam and Eve, see Adam and Eve sin? Only one time. And they're kicked out of the garden. And, you know, God is so perfect without sin. Only one sin is too many. But Jesus will judge not if we did more good works and less sin, but only if we believed in him. If we believe that he was that sacrifice for us, that he died and rose again. And if we believe in him and follow him, then he says that we are forgiven and that we know for sure that our sins are forgiven now and forever and that we will live with him for all of eternity. And we know this for sure because he was the sacrifice, not because we have to live perfectly. Wow. 
That is the incredible, amazing good news of Christianity. I hate to end it there, but we are already over time. But man, just thank you so much for sharing what you're doing uh, and the way that you're evangelizing the Muslims. Yeah, thank you so much. And again, the main thing is just don't be afraid. They're normal people. And especially just think about the refugee context here in America, such an opportunity to reach them. I really truly believe this is God's plan for redeeming many Muslims at this time in the world. So um, be, don't be afraid to share them. Even if it's a coworker at work, have lunch with them at, on your work break. You know, just start talking with them about, about Jesus, about how he's paid the sacrifice for us. So cool. Well, we are praying for you uh, in all that you're doing. And hopefully that my listeners, even though they may not know your name, uh, they can start praying for you as well. Thank you. Awesome. Thank and you just so much. Continue, pray that God continues to bless. Can I give you a quick resource really fast? If you go to capeoples.com, which it stands for Central Asian, so capeoples.com, you can find an amazing gospel presentation that's geared for Muslims. And it's in a ton 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 of languages but there's also an english version so you can watch it in english so you know how it portrays it but it's such a phenomenal thing especially if you meet someone who their english isn't that great um even if their english is good show them that video in their heart language and it's just phenomenal so cool thank you man appreciate it yeah thanks thank you all so much for listening to coffeehouse questions don't forget to come back next week and check out my interview with dr craig hazen on his book fearless prayer Sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffee House Questions with Ryan Polly.